perhaps you could just walk through what actually caused those premiums to go up and what it was and what it was not. Well, hello there, my friends. Chris Mark is here with you for Arcadia Economics. And once again, it is time for our weekly physical silver report with Andy Sheckman of Miles Franklin. And Andy, great to have you with us once again as we dig into all talk, all topics, silver, as well as the gold market, which continues to hover right around that $2,000 level where it's been for about two weeks now, amidst unfortunately some less than ideal conditions out there in the world. But we can dig into all of that and more in this week's show. So, again, great to have you with us. And how is everything going with you today, my friend? Things are great, buddy. It was good to see you the other night. And, uh, yeah, it's good to be back. Things are crazy. Things are starting to certainly spin a lot faster, even though you don't really see it yet in the retail market. Um, the world in and of itself is is moving much faster and and. That's something that I don't really quite know how I feel about. I mean, it's uh, concerning to say the very least. You know, the old Chinese curse, may you live in interesting times. These are quite interesting to me, Chris. Well, certainly they are. And before we get started, we'd just like to show the beautiful coin you gave me last week when we did get to hang out in person and you drove me around your golf cart. We have the bull and bear ounce, which actually breaks into two and distorts with my background a little, but I thank you for that. And uh, beautiful coin there. And um, you've, always liked the, you've always liked those coins that have, you know, interesting designs and stories behind them. I saw it, I knew you'd like it. So I grabbed it and hung on to it for you. Yeah, well, it hangs out right next to my Thor's silver hammer, which- Quite a hammer. Yes, yeah, some days uh, watching the silver price, you feel like you're pounding your head against something. So we got got everything equipped here on the desk and uh, something I guess we've never asked you, which maybe might be a fun place to start today. Although, what what is your favorite silver piece or coin or anything in particular that you've always been fond of? Without question, it's the, the Morgan silver dollar. <clears throat> to me, Morgan silver dollar is kind of encapsulates Americana. Um, they're, I think I love the design. I think they're beautiful. The history of them. Um, it, to me, it's just, it's just the coolest silver coin there is. Kind of like a really old baseball card. And it was in someone's pocket a hundred plus years ago. Uh, you know, interesting stories like that, or or when um uh gosh, the guy that owned Binions, um the uh, horseshoe casino the original one in las vegas i believe you know when he died they, they dug up his property and found huge stashes of morgan silver dollars buried underground it just it it's just i don't know to me it's it's striking a balance between uh historical significance um and value i, I just love them and I don't sell a lot of them because the premiums have gotten a little too high for my comfort, but for my own personal holdings, one A and one B would be Morgan silver dollars. And then the current issue is silver Eagles. They're my two favorite without question. Easy choice. Is that even factoring in the silver Ben Bernanke helicopter with multiple spinnable propellers, which I noticed you had the small and large on your desk when I, Stop by there and saw you in person last week. 
I love that. I mean, yeah, that's very cool. No question about it. Um, and it has greater significance than the Morgan silver dollar does, but you know, look, um, while that, while Ben and all of this, everything surrounding that helicopter and even designing it and going through all of that with you certainly bears a lot of significance. There's something cool holding a piece of a silver that was made, you know, 130 years ago or whatever. And, and to think about the significance of what it meant back then versus what it means right now, it's an interesting, it's an interesting experience. I just kind of like the old Americana stuff. And, you know, when I started my career way back when, that's all anyone bought, Morgan silver dollars and um, uh, $20 gold pieces. The premiums back then when silver was four, five, six bucks an ounce, crazy to even say that. And gold was 250, 270, 300. I mean, I thought it, there was a time when I was amazed it got above 400 way back when. I mean, that was the, the um, you know, that Rubicon that I couldn't believe we finally got over with gold. I've, I've been doing this for a very long time. And I just grew to appreciate the, the age and the significance and the historical um, value found in, in those old silver dollars. Put, a, put one in your hand from the 1800s, from the Carson City Mint or the New Orleans Mint or, you know, San Francisco. It's just... That was a, a whole different world back then. So I think it's neat to hold it in your hand and let your mind drift. So I don't know. I'm just kind of weird that way. Yeah, well, I actually did get one of those Carson City coins a couple of years ago, a present from a friend who had a rebuy gold shop up in Alaska. And uh, and I hear what you're saying about the old Morgan silver dollars. Again, Andy, I, I guess they were minting those right when you were coming yeah. out of high school. There so There we go. A lot of historical. I graduated high school in 1988, so more like a hundred years before that. But you know, I get it. That's that's fair. You got as much gray hair as I do these days, brother. Well, I, I think I've got a, a little bit extra on you on that one. So life life of a silver investor. Although uh, speaking of more serious silver topics, uh, before we dig into your thoughts on if anything changed last week. With the Fed meeting, uh, I know uh, you, you had a great perspective on it in our call we did leading into the Fed meeting, where said largely at this point, it's, it becomes hard to care or put much significance on what they're saying these days, which in many senses is true, of course, in the shorter term dynamics and seeing where some of the trading is heading. Obviously, it has quite an impact, but um, anything that you've seen change in terms of order flow or premium levels on both gold and silver in the past week? As I know that's something that people are always interested to get an update on. No, I mean, it's just, no, it's crazy. It's the craziest damn thing. No, we really haven't seen. Uh, yes. I mean, the, the, the order volume has picked up actually. I mean, certainly since the war started, there's been greater interest, but the premiums and the availability haven't really changed at all. It's like we've bottomed out and we've plateaued and I'm surprised by it. I'm actually kind of shocked by it. I'm waiting for the shoe to drop. It hasn't. And if anything, we've seen, you know, attractive prices and availability for the better part of a few months now. Um, in an environment where I become more and more concerned, maybe I'm just more jaded than I've ever been as as it pertains to what's going on in the world. And uh, maybe I just don't understand why more people don't see things the way that I do. I, I, you know, I just, 
I think I'm cursed with seeing things sometimes a lot a lot before they happen, a lot longer than I would like. Um, and I'm looking out into the future based upon oh, you know, 30 year, 30 plus years of doing this. And I see a time when the American public wakes up to virtually no alternatives as to where to safely put their money. Look, we saw another bank fail. I think it's interesting. We see three banks glitch. It was a Bank of America, a US Bank, and I don't know, another one. And then at the same time, we see Citizens Bank of Iowa fail. I mean, is there a coincidence you've seen three banks glitch? Glitch? What the hell is glitch? And then one bank fail? This is where the trouble's going to start. And, you know, lucky for Citizens Bank of Iowa, it was bought up or gobbled up by another bank in Iowa that took it over. And But that's not going to always be the case. There's going to be some bail-ins. You will not be bailed out when this is finally done. And when that bail-in happens, according to the Dodd-Frank Act, it will happen. When it does, and it catches people by storm, I, I it, it astounds me every day I talk to people and ask them, do you know what a bail-in is? And it's like the most under understood, the, the least understood uh, law that has massive significance on our future that I've ever seen. So when that happens, which I believe it will, and I believe it's intended to call the banks, to get everyone to run to the handful of the larger commercial banks. And you've been following the stuff we've been talking about. I've been talking about for years. You understand what I'm talking about. And when this happens, it's then that the public will will fly into precious metals. And if only, you know, a 5% allocation to people's portfolio, which would be woefully undervalued, would represent a, a tenfold increase in demand, according to Rick Rule, and his one half of 1% allocation to the U.S., financial matrix to precious metals. And he says from Joe Sixpack to the Harvard Endowment Fund, it is under-owned to the extent representing one half of 1% of the collective allocation or portfolio allocation. When that changes to five or 10%, the, the overnight impact is extraordinary. And I guess the one thing that you can we can all agree upon now is that there's a lot of money out there that is you know wondering where to safely put it. And, and, you know, we've seen what's happened with treasuries and, and money markets. And I think you will see that moment where the realization by people who have no clue that the banks truly aren't safe. Now, if you're under $250,000, you should be okay. But there's over $7 trillion in uninsured deposits right now in the banking system. So there are a lot of people who don't get it. And if that money comes out looking for a safe place to go, where do you go? I wouldn't say the bond market in in anything uh, in terms of duration is safe these days or desirable. And the stock market, no. The real estate market, no. The dollar, shaky. Where do you go? So that's when I see things changing. But right now, no, it's been a hell of a subsidy in a world that is screaming to you, you should own precious metals because the world is upside down in so many ways, Uh, economically, spiritually, morally, you know, the list goes on and on geopolitically. So the fact that it's it's as cheap as it is m- makes no sense to me, Chris. And no, once again, uh, it hasn't really seen, we haven't seen anything material in, uh, in regards to premiums and or availability. It's as good as it's been in years. Well, it's also interesting when you think back to this time last year, we were in the middle of one of those spikes 
which seemed to end right around Thanksgiving and had those elevated premiums. We had them again earlier this year during the banking issues. Although I was hoping you could distinguish for people between what happened there and that that wasn't really caused by perhaps a lack of silver in industrial bar form, but more that we had a surge in demand that was taking the available minted product. And I think that's something that's not always clear for people. And perhaps you could just walk through what actually caused those premiums to go up and what it was and what it was not. Well, I mean, I, I guess there's still a little bit of, of mystery as to exactly what it was, but there was far more retail demand, I mean, on a basic level than there was available supply. Um, and you throw into it the the inefficiencies of the U.S. Mint only made it a whole lot worse and added a lot of conspiracy, or was it reality, or is there a fine line between it? I mean, listen to Bix Weir's three-part interview with the guy that runs the Silver Eagle program at the Mint. He openly admits that he was told by his officials to produce the smallest amount possible without creating outcry by the public. He he openly admits that the, the primary distributors wanted something like 36 million coins and they gave him 12. So, you know, why is the question? What's the reason? Um, so there was there was far more demand than there was supply. And I think you had a lot of people around the globe that were all competing for the same ounces and and the, caught the mints off guard and the supply chain distortions and all of the things that we can talk about, you know, that we know of, sure. No, we didn't see the, the thousand ounce bars disappear, but what we did see is an awakening by a, a number of people, a larger group of people than we traditionally would that understood that, hey, you know, Something's not right, and I'm looking for a way to protect my assets and remove counterparty risk. So it wasn't any major conspiracy, I guess you could say. But the one part that does bear thinking about is why did the U.S. Mint do what they did? And I don't know the answer to that, and they admitted it openly on Bix's interview. I mean, I couldn't believe he said it, but he did. Um so bottom line, Chris, whatever the reason was, at least on the retail side, far more demand than there was supply. But that I think ultimately is what we could expect to see on a much larger scale and maybe even in the uh, on the wholesale level, as Ted Butler is saying just that right now, that there are there is a shortage of industrial size bars. And you know, when you continue to see evidence of not only the COMEX or the London Metals Exchange or or the uh, LBMA having uh, ma massive offtake through delivery. There's also uh, all sorts of conversation about the ETFs uh, through share redemption being drained. And then, of course, you have what just happened the other day uh, with um, PSLV and BlackRock, who took a, a huge delivery off of, of PSLV. That's one that we haven't heard very often, but that was almost 8 million ounces, a 7.8 or 7.9 uh, million ounces they took off. So, you know, you're seeing the big bars disappear, and yet there's great availability down below. At some point, I think there has to be, a you know, a matching here of, because after all, it's it's these epicenters of, of um, these, these massive exchanges like the LBMA and the Comex where the bars come from. So if we see a shortage at that level, 
ultimately it will work its way down here. But that wasn't the case to the best of my knowledge before. It was just more people understanding the need and panicking in a world that was very scary for a long time. So that's the problem. People wait until they're forced to panic and let fear take over as their driving emotion. And that's never a good way to do it. It's better to be methodical and, and prepare in advance. Hope you never need to use it. If you do, you're damn glad you have it. And maybe it's for an opportunity, not just an emergency. But if not, you give it to your kids someday or whatever. And so it's just, that's indicative of panic. And people are, are motivated in two ways, by fear and greed. Fear being a much stronger motivator. And I think that was just people who were unprepared scurrying to get whatever they could. And then, you know, the banking problem was papered over here recently, uh, just like we saw in March and April, where we added 14,000 clients in 45 days in an environment where the banks were bailed out. Wait till they're bailed in. That bailout was illegal. And if, you know, according to Janet, it was too systemic, silicon and signature, too systemic, had to bail them out. But that's not going to happen going down the road. And, and that's when you see really, really fast supply chain problems. And it's happened many times before in this industry where within a week, everything's gone, but there's never been a, a, a back, you know, a backstory quite like what we see now. So yeah, I think it could happen again for sure, but we're not there yet. It's, it's, it's good availability and, and low premiums as far as I'm concerned right now. Yes, and I would like to pull up first the U.S. mint sales figures because, as you can see down here, getting towards the end of the year, it looks like they're at 21.8 million American Silver Eagles. And you said last uh, in the last two weeks that they basically reached the end of their allocation for this year? Yeah, I believe so. Uh, that's what we were told, and so there still are some straggling through but yeah they're as far as i know uh, we're done with the 2023s in terms of allocations and now we're going to sell what's available what is in the system and 2024s won't come out until after the new year all righty and you also mentioned in there the metal that's been coming out of the etfs and this does also include comex and we can see really over the last year since uh beginning of 2022. In fact, I will back this out to the five-year chart. We can see that we've had a decline of metal coming out of these funds, which I would suggest means that at least one of the things happening here, not large institutional investment demand, although we can see it's continued throughout 2023, whereas the COMEX has been choppy over the past year, but as I back out here to the two-year chart, see here we were back in October, November, around 35 million ounces, and there's been some volatility. It's gone up and gone down, but sitting there at 38 million ounces as of this point, although we are seeing metal come out of funds, as I mentioned, which According to what I hear, and I guess there will be an update from Silver Institute. They have their mid-year update come out in November, so should be seeing that in the next couple of weeks. Although as of their earlier year update, they were forecasting another deficit this year. One thing that has changed, we haven't seen the big Indian demand that has dropped off a cliff. But do you think some of this is being used to fund another deficit this year? Is one possible explanation? 
you know, I the 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 way that they the games that they play and and as opaque as they are, it's even it's even wonder you know, I even wonder if um the information we get from from the commitment of traders, how accurate it really is. Um I think that they are gonna resort to all sorts of of you know find the ball type of 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 gimmicks to move from one place to another you know i mean it's hard to explain when ted butler talks about the massive physical movement of silver in and out of the vaults all day every day the turnover being much much higher than any other commodity so maybe they are moving it from one place to the next i don't know but all i can tell you is that you can see it started in 2020 when they started draining the mint or the Colmex rather, uh, and we saw the addition of this third group of reportables on the commitment of traders called the others. And we've seen this large accentuation in, in exchange for physical. We're seeing proof that it's coming out of SLV and GLV and off even the Shanghai uh, gold and silver exchange. We're seeing that they are taking things out of PSLV. I think that they are going to great lengths to hide what is being delivered where it's being moved to, who who are, are the shorts? I mean, they're doing things on the OTC market. They're just hiding. It reeks of desperation. It reeks of of the last stages of this of this game, and they're all scurrying to pull as much out as they can without alerting everybody. And at the same time, you know, you see uh, a statement, and I know that's really not what you asked, but the, at the exact same time, you see Russia increase its gold reserves you know, to, to the largest in modern history, in Russian modern history, and China continuing to add, and all of these countries adding gold and silver, at the same time, China's treasuries are now at a 14-year low, their holdings of Chinese, of treasuries, of U.S. treasuries. So this is all a last stage, uh, late in the game type of, of movement where the biggest money in the world are selling treasuries, and yet we are supposed to believe that this you know, this big um, uh, rally that we saw in the bond market the other day, or was it short covering, I guess, that pushed rates down. Well, that's normal, huh? Whereas we're also supposed to believe that um, that the Cayman Islands is the largest holder of our treasuries. I think the bottom line is, is that if you look and see all of these things happening, and the common thread is that doesn't matter what prices, doesn't matter what the COMEX is, the big money is are draining the exchanges, they're draining the ETFs. The central banks are accumulating. And, you know, the public at large really hasn't caught on yet. Or you would see the premiums and the availability very different than they are. So, Chris, I don't know. Actually, I don't know what that really means. To me, it just means more of the same, that the big money is, is finding any way they can to pull metal out of the hands of anyone stupid enough to let go of it. And it means the ETFs as well. PSLV, no exception. Um, and I think you'll you'll continue to see this for as long as they can, because you can't just bankrupt the COMEX and the LBMA or the game's over. So there are other places that they'll continue to pillage until, until they can't anymore, until the whole jig is up. And that's when you see prices go much higher. And that's kind of what I ultimately see, because it was real easy to push the price around for all these years when the focus wasn't on de-dollarization. The focus wasn't on accumulation of commodities. It was about debt instruments. It was about treasuries. It was about U.S. equities and the U.S. dollar. 
just seems to me that that is being chipped away at little by little by little. And so, yeah, I, I don't know exactly what it means, but other than it just the obvious, and that is big money is, is draining are draining those, uh, those ETFs as just another source of metal and one that doesn't really make it easy to discern exactly who or what is happening. Well, it, it is uh, quite a dynamic where we used to talk primarily about the monetary implications and then you have the way things are going with the actual supply of silver where now we're running deficits and also in an environment where not easy to be launching new projects. So makes you wonder what things will look like in five or 10 years, especially if we do get a surge in monetary demand. So we will get a surge in monetary demand. I mean, look, it just came out the other day. As far as I'm concerned, the people running this country have zero fiscal restraint and they're ignorant and they're and they're chronic liars by the way they doctored the gauges of, of unemployment and and of, of inflation. And, and now the Congressional Budget Office just came out and they told us that by 2031, the US government will spend 100% of its tax revenue on just on mandatory entitlements like social security and the interest on the debt. That means by 2031 in just a few years, everything else from the military to the light bill at the White House to you know, the roads and every infrastructure, it's all gonna be funded by more debt. You gotta borrow to, to keep the lights on. And, and then they say that just two years after that in 2020 and 2033, social security, the primary trust fund will run out of money. It's already insolvent. And so how do you continue to pay for these obligations? And by the way, you know, when you talk social security, that's off balance sheet, along with uh, government, military pensions and Medicare and Medicaid, 130, 140, 150 trillion in unfunded liabilities. So inflation is here to stay, will only get worse. And just because the dollar got stupid strong, made the, the CPI numbers, the CPI go from nine to three, the dollar was so strong inordinately, it won't be there forever. The dollar is going to get creamed at some point. And as the dollar loses value, along with it losing settlement utility, people choosing other countries to do uh, business with and, and, and in their local currencies or in gold, or maybe someday a BRICS settlement currency, the value of the dollar is going to fall. Inflation byproduct will rise. Look down the road. Don't look just here. Be like the Chinese, be methodical, think way out into the future. And I think if you do that, it becomes very obvious how important silver and gold truly are. They may not really be that way right now in people's eyes because it's not obvious. It is to me, it is to you, but there will come a time when it becomes too obvious to ignore and by then it's way too late. So what do you got to lose? Uh, you know, protect. If you're watching this channel, you understand it. Um, buy some silver, buy some gold. I don't care if it's from me, whoever it is, but you should definitely do so, because everything that I see is pointing to this. This getting really ugly, and and it seems to be that it's accelerating. Look at the banks. Look at what happened this weekend. Three glitches in a bank failure. It's just beginning. Wait until these banks. I mean, just wait till the commercial real estate starts to really break the banks. You can see it by all of these buildings that are being sold for a fraction of what they were sold for just a few years ago in cities that no one wants to buy them in Chicago, in, in Oregon, in states where these, these, these very uh, 
liberal states with high crime rates and these buildings are going for pennies on the dollar it's going to break the banks it's coming so get in front of it and uh, that that's kind of what what i see when i look at the environment in front of us well i hear you because the last thing that we'll touch on today is obviously the federal reserve who had their meeting last week and remains in that same rather difficult and awkward position because on one hand markets interpreting that maybe we've seen the last hike although here are the pce inflation numbers and we see the core still at 3.7 percent again we'll leave aside how accurately pc or or cpi for that matter are measuring the actual rate of increase in prices but any thoughts on what we saw last week from the fed and what they're going to have to do here because i understand markets are Happy suggesting that we have seen the end of the rate cuts, although it's still not really getting the, I mean, we're still a bit of a ways from 2% there. So curious if you had you any. You mean the rate hikes that they think we're done with the rate hikes. Look, I mean, you got, you got people all over the place, including even the United Nations saying that if we, if, if bankers don't raise their inflation expectations to three or 4%, they'll break the system. The numbers are not true and go to the grocery store. The, the, those numbers are, are, they just don't seem real to me at all. And I think inflation is here to stay. They've been manipulated by pillaging our strategic oil um, supply by, by the dollar going to, to great inordinately in unjustified highs in the dollar index. And um, I don't think it's it's going to get anything but worse. And what is the Fed going to do? I think maybe the Fed realizes the market is bigger than than their ability to control it. And it becomes very obvious that they're the ones who came in and bought the back end of the tenure this week and created this squeeze. I think the dollar and the treasury market is becoming something that is not, look, it's a, it's a relatively modern phenomenon in historical sense that government debt would be the tool for savings. I think it's it's on the way out. So what is the what can the Fed do? If they raise rates, they're going to break the system. If they don't raise rates, then they're going to signal, you know, screw austerity. It's printing press and inflation forever. They're damned if they do. They're damned if they don't. To look at it in only a very minute, miniature, micro, you know, day by day um, scale is is a mistake. I think you got to look at it long term. The long term is that the dollar's in big trouble no matter what the Fed does. And so, you know, what can they do? They'll they'll pause, I guess, or or I don't see them cutting. If they do, it, it just signals, I think it's all over for the dollar in a fast, fast fashion if they cut. And that's the same problem that they've done all along. They should have never cut in 08. They should have never started doing a QE to infinity. They should have just taken the medicine. We should have taken the medicine. And that's really what cutting will do, is that saying we'll never take the medicine. And it just, to me, signals to the world that, you know, why would you take our treasuries? That we're lying about inflation, the numbers. We're, we've had the worst treasury market in the history of the 10-year treasury for the last couple of years. We'll go down as the biggest bond market debacle ever. And... And we've chosen to lower rates because we understand that we, if we raise them any higher, which we never will be able to do, we'll blow things up. All the while, while we continue, we've added a half a billion, half a trillion dollars in October alone. We're adding so much money to the debt that, you know, at some point you have to raise rates to compensate for the evisceration of the value through money printing. So 
I don't know, man. I don't look at any of these short-term things. I think that's kind of the problem with the way that this Western system is. It's too short-sighted. Look at the big picture. We're screwed. And whatever they do today really is irrelevant to how we'll all play out. And at some point, the world catches on. Right now, whatever they are doing uh, by making the dollar seem stronger than it is and the bond market stronger than it is and and gold and silver weaker than they are, well, for those people who are contrarians, it's a gift. For the rest of the world, it's just making it much harder to see what's rolling down the hill at them, and they're going to get rolled over by it when it finally breaks. And that is how I feel, and I know it sucks to even say it, but it's become pretty clear to me that there's not a lot the Fed can do at this point. I think they're more or less impotent, and they want to lower rates. Great. Watch what happens when the world continues to shed our treasuries. And when you see, you know, China at the lowest treasury holdings they've had in 14 years, that says a lot. I think that that's a trend that will continue. And then who's going to buy our debt and at what rate? So I don't know, man. Short term means nothing to me. Look at the big picture. That's well, yeah, that, that especially what you touched on there at the end where who ends up buying the debt. Obviously, it's been funded to this point at times with a lot of quantitative easing, although it's just when you look at the trajectory, it's almost as if, if even if you can get the balance sheet space to fund that debt now, they're unfortunately on a path where it seems like it, if not today, they're going to keep increasing those deficits and debt loads until you do reach the point. However, that's the that point. That's the be. point. Yeah. And then, of course, at the same time, uh, something that I was thinking about earlier today, where it's not just the U.S., all of the major governments around the globe facing similar issues, maybe not all of them, but a lot of the major governments. So a lot, lot of debt floating around out there looking for a buyer. And I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense. So why not buy gold? Because it's not debt, nor is it anyone else's liability or silver. I'm saying if you're a central bank. And when I say gold, I mean silver too. It's just kind of a bad habit that I have. But yeah, I mean, I think gold and silver are taking over as the as they once were the the preeminent way of saving money. And and you know, to think that government debt, government that is is irresponsible as hell with their monetary and fiscal policy and destroying the value of the dollar, suppressing interest rates, fooling with the metrics by which we gauge it. Why the hell would anyone want to own it? And when you talk about the, what makes it the dollar and it's, you know, the linchpin of the hegemony being the, the petro status, well, that's a whole nother subject for another day, which is, you know, which is ending. And these countries are just choosing to trade outside of the dollar, even before they have a settlement currency. Qatar just signed its second 27-year gas supply deal with, with China. They're second. You know, China's buying massive, the longest ever contract with, with um Qatar for liquid natural gas. And, you know, these, they're all settling outside the dollar. They're not being done with any respect for, for continuing the dollar as the world reserve currency. In fact, they are agreeing to not rely on the dollar little by little, the chipping away of the hegemony will add only add to the problem as dollars get dumped or there's more dollars out there than there is demand for them. The dollar loses value. Inflation goes higher. It's a vicious circle. There's really nowhere for these for the Fed to go, and it, it would just be better to take our medicine and deal with it. But that's where the default comes in. And 
And I don't know any other way to do it than break the whole system and point to a villain. And that villain are those bastards who, who dumped the dollars for a new settlement currency for oil, Xi Jinping and Putin and OPEC. And I've been saying that consistently for a long time. And the setup is right there in front of us to happen. So I don't know. I guess we'll see, Chris. I wish I had uh, a, a brighter outlook on things. But the Fed is, is really something that um, at this point I don't think has... I think that they really don't have as much as much power as a lot of people think. I think the market is a lot stronger than they are ultimately, and the world is beginning to notice it. Well, I agree with that. Perhaps uh, not a not something that I that I would dispute what you're saying. Although, just think worthwhile for people to keep in mind that perhaps the timeline on such a thing may be longer than often it seems or that we expect, but always is you're right. Always is until it's not. And that's why people were so upset that, that the, the they didn't come out with a currency uh, backed by gold in August. People are upset that silver hasn't taken off yet. All of these things, the timeline is counterintuitive and it doesn't make sense until it does. And I've been doing this for so long. I see how it plays out. You wonder if it will ever come and then it doesn't, it never looks back. So when you base your decisions on economics and mathematics and a sprinkling of old school logic, they come true, just not when you think it will. But I'm fairly confident that in the end, these numbers play out. I guess we'll just have to see what it is that triggers the, you know, the, the outcome, what triggers the, the landslide when it starts to move in that direction. But you're right, we're not there yet. And there's still time. There's time to protect and, and look at these these counterintuitive prices of metals and the counterintuitive behavior of the markets to your advantage. That's what the biggest money in the world is doing. It's called misdirection. So use it to your advantage and uh, don't, don't look at it as being disappointed. Look at it as, Oh, they've given me more time. That's how I do it. And as uh, God is my witness, that is how I do it. So anyways, uh, I've rambled enough. I appreciate you, Chris. You know, sometimes it's hard to come up with, things to talk about that are new um this isn't one of those it doesn't always have to be new it just needs to be reinforced that it's real and it's happening and you can see it by the little by little you're seeing countries dump treasuries dump dollars accumulate commodities outside the dollar buy gold and you can see it in in the geopolitical events you can see it in in what's happening here at home with the the lack of unity and um, the divisiveness and, and the, the anger and the lawlessness and the lack of respect for authority and all of these things, they're all, to me, part of a bigger piece, a bigger puzzle. And don't focus on just one thing. Look at the bigger piece of the puzzle. The life as we know it in this country is changing. And so you need to prepare yourself for it. Hope you never need to use this stuff. If you are, you're damn glad you have it. And if not, you know, give it to your kids as a lasting legacy of, of, you know, something that's been considered wealth for all the time. That's how I look at it. And, you know, I wish I didn't see such a dark horizon um, in our future, but I do. And, and I think that only makes it more important to own it. Well, I think that makes a lot of sense what you're saying. And again, obviously the focusing on the day by day of what I would suggest is a long-term investment can have its mental challenges uh, in handling that. Although, I'm pulling up a long-term silver chart as I do that. We do have gold was around 250 bucks at the turn of the century. So 
call that an 8x. And here we see silver, $5. So almost a 5x on silver. Again, I understand people who were in the NASDAQ over the past decade did quite well, although uh, haven't checked it recently, although I believe it's still that both gold and silver have outperformed the stock markets since the year 2000. So something to keep in mind, which I know it does not always feel like that, especially uh, when you have this big spike up to $50 and back in 2011. But I would suggest like you're saying in that and to be clear, that doesn't mean that when people are considering gold and silver, that everything that a person owns needs to be in that. So obviously some diversification anywhere goes a long way, although there was that Oxford study last year that showed the math behind how portfolios actually would benefit from in terms of smoothing out volatility, given the correlations between silver, gold and other assets that over a longer time period, you can be smoothing that out a little bit. So yeah, you can find with... that in the um, Ibbotson study as well. IBB, OTSO and Ibbotson, they were bought by Morningstar. They did a study very similar to that saying exact same thing that when you look at portfolio allocations, those with precious metals perform better than those without. And, and they are a mutual fund rating agency or, you know, part of it anyway. So I don't know, I found it interesting. And they also said that the only asset that was inversely correlated anymore to the U.S. stock market were precious metals. So yeah, it's important to own no matter what. It should be in everyone's portfolio. It's just to me becoming more important to uh, to consider that. So always always full of good information you are, Chris. And I appreciate, you know, appreciate the way you do things. So, and, and, and for being here. I know you often ask what kind of specials we're doing. We have... Um, um, five gram, um, platinum Pamp Fortuna, Lady Fortuna bars at 25 over melt, two and a half gram, uh, gold Valcambi. Both of these are Swiss mints, a Pamp and Valcambi. And those are two and a half gram uh, Pamp bars at 25 over melt also. And then the 2023 Australian kangaroo silver at 310 over the price of silver. So again, everything's on sale, but you know, the, Kind of the um, theme here would be things that you could trade with in the five gram platinum or the two and a half gram gold or the one ounce silver, all as cheap as they've been in the past uh, three, four years. So good availability and good prices. Well, alrighty. And you can find out more about that by emailing Arcadia at milesfranklin.com. And certainly if you have questions for me or need to discuss any of those things or any of the things that we're talking about on the show, happy to help you with that. And that is at Arcadia at milesfranklin.com. So Andy, we will wrap up for today, but again, a pleasure to have you here as always, and we'll see what uh, happens next week. And again, like you said, sometimes there's big new exciting stories. Sometimes I think it just helps to be reminded why we're doing this and why we see this perspective, which um, you know, it's good to have a little bit of both. So in either case, we'll see you again next week. Go Jets. Huh? Maybe I'll see you tonight. I appreciate it, Chris. You take care, brother. Well, thank you, Andy, as always, for this week's report. Hope you found that one helpful at home as we think through some of the things that are happening, as well as review some of the trends that are going on on a broader perspective and continue to head towards an outcome that 
many have predicted for decades and certainly seems to be more rapidly approaching as we see some of these imbalances start to come to a head, especially as debts are really starting to get a bit out of control and with the higher interest expense coming to the point where it finally does matter and is becoming a bit more problematic of which we'll see plenty of that in the weeks and months going forward. So hope you found that one helpful at home. And before we wrap up, I did want to pass along a bit of news that came out yesterday morning about Kuya Silver, one of the companies that we follow here on the show. And they just did a strategic investment with Travagura that will give them $1.2 million U.S. in assistance to restart the production of their Bethania mine down in Peru. It's a deal that comes in two tranches. First tranche for $230,000, contingent upon an offtake agreement for the concentrates at the mine, and also a second tranche of $970,000 that is conditional upon Kuya raising an additional $1.3 million. The price will be based on a 10-day volume weighted average price of common shares on the CSE and requires Trafigura to hold that hold those shares for a minimum of one year and also gives them a warrant that will be priced at 25% premium to the deal price. And as part of that, it is a good strategic investment for Kuya as Trafigura will handle the purchase and resale of the concentrate to the end users. So deal gives Kuya someone that is well-versed in the metal space and can handle that role. So, you know, that's something that David Stein, who runs Kuya, is quite excited about. And I will leave the link to this press release below. But another positive step forward for Kuya as they near production on their Bethania mine, where they did sign a toll milling agreement with Campania Minera San Valentin last month, who will do the toll milling for the concentrated Bethania, which is just 20 kilometers away from the Bethania project. So things getting closer for Kuya Silver. And with that said, gonna wrap up for today, but hope you're having a great day out there and I'll look forward to seeing you again tomorrow. Mm -hmm.